I view esports in the team aspect similar to a radio station, right? Our players are our uh, talent and likened to the radio station. And uh, then, you know, we want to attract an audience so that we can turn around and sell that audience to sponsors. And you have events as well. And those are your homestands. And we know how to put on events. We've done that over and over again in radio. So we're applying some of the same principles that we do in radio, in traditional media, to the business of esports. And it's worked out fairly well. Benstone President Dave Chachi Dennis loves radio. And all of his radio friends. Hey, Chachi. Hey, everybody. Because Chachi loves everybody. <laughs> My next guest is responsible for leading 62 radio properties, digital operations, and esports division, which includes ownership of the Overwatch League's Houston Outlaws. She's the chair of the BMI Board of Directors. She's the immediate past chair of the National Association of Broadcasters Board of Directors and is the former chair of the NAB Radio Board. She's been the recipient of numerous awards, including the Distinguished Service Award from the North Carolina Association of Broadcasters, the Francis Preston Trailblazer Award, and the Mentoring and Inspiring Women in Radio Group as the Horizon Award for her visionary industry leadership. In April of 2022, next year, she's going to receive the National Association of Broadcasters National Radio Award for her dedication and commitment to the radio industry. And she's also been named by Radio Inc. Magazine as Radio Executive of the Year and has been consistently ranked amongst the top five 40 most powerful people in radio by the publication. Please welcome Caroline Beasley, the CEO of Beasley Media Group. Hello, Caroline. Hi, how are you? I'm excellent. As you can see, I'm, uh, I'm elated to be speaking to you and really uh, grateful for you taking the time to be with us here today. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. It's an honor. Not to embarrass you, but just so everyone is in the loop, we're on Zoom right now. So Caroline and I can see each other and I'm holding up the uh, past uh, 40 most powerful people on radio from our friends at Radio Inc. What does that feel like to be ranked number four and to have that type of just profile in the industry? Is that something that you think about on a regular basis or is it just something that's just goes with the territory? You know, look, it's really an honor and um, I'm very humbled to, you know, be in this role in this position. I just really focus, like focus, focus and do my job and what my responsibilities are. And I don't think about the other, you know, and you can't really think about the other. I have to say, I've just always been so impressed by you and obviously your father. And I want to talk about here in a second, just growing up. Being a Beasley and, and growing up, obviously, uh, with such an icon in the business, but you guys have just always been, at least from what I've seen, so committed to the industry and so committed to really serving the community. Where did that come from? Was that something that was just brought up that your your mother and father uh, instilled in you? Yeah. I mean, look, we were born in the business. We grew up in the business. And, uh, you know, think about it. We were growing up uh, visiting radio stations at the height of radio, you know, visiting radio stations in the 70s when everything was going on. It was uh, pretty remarkable. And to see the impact that we had on the audience, on the community, how we could help the community, it was very touching and memorable. And so it's our responsibility to serve the community and to provide great content. And that is something that, you know, our parents instilled in us and we take it very seriously. It's, I think, an amazing quality and it's certainly something that 
we look up to here at Benstown, but you guys really just seem to do so much, whether it is as an entire group or the individual stations serving local charities in their communities. And uh, I think it's uh, certainly very admirable and honestly something I wish the rest of the industry would do more of. I think as an industry, we do a good job, but we could certainly do better. And especially in this day and age, when we're looking for new ways to connect with listeners, I think nothing goes mm-hmm. farther than helping someone and uh, being integrated in the community like you guys. Yeah. Do. I mean, look, we have such a great team as well. And they're really focused on that. You know, they know that this is something that is important to the family, important to us, but the team members, they execute and you see how well they do it with Heidi, with Justin, with the market managers, they take it very seriously. And you haven't, I, I want to get into your team in a little bit, but you have just, I think, an amazing team and you attract the greatest uh, programmers, uh, a huge fan of Justin. We actually came up together. They were kind of the same generation and uh, got into the business around the same time. And so I followed his career uh, incredibly closely, but uh, you hire Scott Jameson, who I think is just a, such an amazing talent and the, the programmers that you attract, uh, Kat going back to Las Vegas. I'm so impressed with the quality of the people that come into your uh, into your company. How do you attract talent of that caliber? You know, I, I, um, we feel really fortunate to be able to uh, work with professionals such as Kat, such as Scott, such as Bill Weston, such as Cadillac in Boston. I mean, the list goes on and on. And how do we attract uh, such great people? I think it's the brands that we have as well, right? And who wouldn't want to work and be associated with WRIF in Detroit or WMMR in Philadelphia or WROR in Boston or Sports Hub in Boston? I mean, the list goes on and on. So I think it's part of that and our commitment to content. You grew up the youngest and the only girl with four brothers. What was that like? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it was really interesting. Uh, there was never a dull moment in the house. My brothers, uh, I don't know if you know them or not. I'm sure you do. Uh, they were very mischievous growing up. And <laughs> there was always something going on. And, um, you know, my dad traveled a lot during the week. And on the weekends, he really wanted us around. And so he made our home life very comfortable. I mean, he built a basketball court for my brothers. He, you know, we had a pool. We had just a lot of activities, um, you know, around our house such that our friends could come over, my brother's friends could come over. So growing up with four brothers and all of their friends, it was always constantly something going on in the house. And again, there was never a dull moment, but you know what, I just, um, that experience, they made me tougher through life, you know, <laughs> you know, picking on you and everything. They just helped make me who I am today. So I am very appreciative of that. It sounds like you had a very uh, social family and uh, you guys entertained a lot and uh, people coming and going. Was your mom, was she much like your dad? Was she pretty outgoing? Uh, my mom is outgoing. Yeah. And she really is the, the rock behind the family. Uh, my dad was out working. She stayed home, took care of us. And as we grew older, she started working at the radio station in the local community where we lived doing traffic. So she became involved in the business as well. But yeah, she's outgoing and uh, 
just uh, very outspoken. She will meet someone and she reads people really, really well. And I value her feedback on, you know, when she's out and about and meeting people. I'm like, mom, what do you think about this person? And she'll, she'll be pretty much spot on. (laughs) And I think she helped my dad through the years as well with that. That's great. So they were a great team, it sounds like, and she had uh, fantastic insight and intuition on the industry. Was there a pressure growing up to follow in your father's footsteps or would they have been open if you chose, I'm going to be a a doctor, for instance, or did they really want you to, uh, to get into the business? There was no pressure at all. I mean, as a matter of fact, my oldest brother is a doctor. Oh, no, so, no kidding. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I th- there was probably more pressure on him to become a doctor than, <laughs> than, um, than on us. But yeah, no, I mean, they really wanted us to do whatever it is that we wanted to do and we were able to excel at. It just so happened that uh, four of the five kids decided to go into the business and each kid pretty much you know, my dad was very um, insightful and really understood each of our personalities. And so he knew that, you know, Bruce and Brian would likely be better in operations, in sales. I'm a bit more of an focus and intense person. And uh, so he felt like I'd be better in finance and that side of the business. So you kind of guided us toward that direction once we decided to get into the business. But um, I think it's his understanding of our personalities and where he thought that we would be best, you know, we could best serve the company. I love that you guys were so close and still are to this day. I think it's just an amazing story. And it's also incredibly heartwarming. And for you guys to have such success and work so well together. Because I know at times my brother uh, was involved with our company and a partner uh, for a long time, and we, we still care about each other very much. But there are definitely challenges when you're working with siblings and navigating that. And I remember a Christmas dinner where uh, we were sitting across the table at my parents' place, but we weren't speaking to each other. <laughs> oh, no. Really? Oh, well, yeah. well, yeah. I mean, sometimes that happens, but, you know, it's it's part of it. And ultimately, I mean, we have disagreements, and but ultimately, at the end of the day, we have the same goals. You know, we want the company to succeed, so we have the same end game. It's just getting from A to B. You know, sometimes that gets a little murky, but we find our way through it and um, have the same goals at the end of the day. In your mind, and I know you've learned so much from your father and your mother uh, throughout your life, is there one lesson you could maybe uh, share with us and something maybe we can take away that you uh, are most grateful for that you learned from him over the years? Yeah, um, look, just to step back a little bit, I mean, I was really, really, really fortunate. I worked alongside him ever since getting out of college. He taught me so, so many lessons. Um after I became CFO and was really involved with M&A, you know, with my personality, I really just wanted to get the best, best, best possible deal. Everyone does, right? Sure. And um, my dad sat me down one day and he's like, Caroline, he said, you know, let me tell you a story about something my grandfather told me. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it was like, you know, you really need to leave something on the table for the buyer and keep that in mind. And let's just, you know, make sure the big points are addressed. 
And the minor details, the little points, the little issues that you're continuing to fight about after you've addressed the larger points, don't spend so much time on them. So um, I took that and thought about that for a while. And I actually use that to this day. I mean, everybody is in business to do a deal, to turn around and do another deal and, you know, to make money off of it or to make it better in some respects. So you can't get everything. You can't get blood from a turnip, you know, and and to leave some on to to leave some for the next guy or girl. And that is such phenomenal advice. And I, I couldn't agree more. And it speaks really to the integrity of your father. And so many times I've been in negotiations and you leave a negotiation feeling bad that you're getting taken advantage of or you're not getting something. It ends up just I think a lot of times making for bad blood. And uh, I remember I think Herb Cohen had said each person in negotiation should leave wanting a little bit more, (laughs) you know, basically. Each person should feel like they didn't get the best end of the deal, right? I mean, and it's to your point, they should leave wanting more. I have walked away from deals where the other side was doing just that. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to move forward with this and just moved on. You know, I think most people can relate. You've gone to a car lot and probably bought a car and negotiated that or the purchase of a house or whatever it may be. And I think a purchase of a house is a little bit different because usually you have a realtor that's acting as your broker, but I guess a car dealership is probably the best analogy and you're going to deal with the car salesman and so forth. And that can be stressful just, you know, buying an automobile. What kind of pressure do you feel when you are negotiating multi-million dollar transactions? I mean, is that something that keeps you up at night or what's that feel like? Yeah, I mean, it definitely keeps you up at night because you've done your homework. You know that uh, likely that this is going to be a good transaction for the company. It's going to help your company grow. But then you're paying a lot of money for this. And what if? Something happens that you don't have control over, such as a pandemic or, you know, recession. What's the downside? So I stay up at night really worrying about things like that, you know, making sure that we will be able to get a return on the investment as we, you know, acquire, you know, whatever it is that we are acquiring or making investments in whatever company that we are looking to make an investment in. You guys are celebrating 60 years in radio uh, just coming up here in December. Congratulations. I mean, that's an an amazing milestone. And most companies, I think Warren Buffett uh, calls it, I'm going to mess this up. I think it's called the cultural imperative. But most companies, believe it or not, don't have a lifespan more than about a decade. Uh, What happens is they end up falling apart, trends go into certain directions, whatever it may be. But the vast majority, I want to say it's like almost like 90 some odd percent end up going away in the first decade. last 60 years is just an amazing accomplishment. And it's even more difficult. Building something is one thing, but then staying on the top and staying at the best of your game, you know, decade after decade is even more difficult. So congratulations for that. But obviously the industry has evolved. What are you doing and what do you look for as you're leading the company to kind of stay ahead of those, those changes? So the industry today is night and day than what it was 60 years ago, right? It's so different. And so our focus today is really to diversify our revenue, to expand our audience by creating great content 
and to um, be able to post uh, profits <laughs> on an annual basis. And whatever we're doing, as you peel back and get further into details of each of those three items, we're just really focused on doing each of those three. So is it digital? You know, diversifying your revenue, being able to expand your content and your audience through your digital offerings, and then being able to grow your cash flow and increase your profitability. I mean, we look at each of these pillars as we're going into new ventures. And so that is where our focus is. It's not on one particular thing, it's on those three items and then peeling back the onion for each of those three items. Walk me through a typical workday and what that looks like for you. Oh my God. Uh, well, every day is different. I travel quite a bit and, you know, I'd love to visit the radio stations, but at the corporate office, it's really just going in and, you know, starting with the emails, starting with calls, and we're all back in office and then talking with different team members about what is going on in their respective markets are like for Justin, what's going on with uh, some of the stations that he's overseeing, what's going on as far as, you know, some of our digital assets, how can we expand our audience, you know, just, it's all just kind of big picture, but really focused on our three core goals of our company. I have a binder with a list of things that I want to achieve every day. And some days I'm able to check off those items and some days I'm not, but um, it's, it's really just managing the company and looking for opportunities to grow. How much, and I've kind of learned in my life and were a fraction the size of the operation that you were running that a lot of times something just comes out of the blue like you just were not expecting and i got to speak to jeff simoleon who i have a tremendous amount of respect for as well and he likened it to he is the uh, goalkeeper in a hockey game and he's just trying to keep the puck from you know he's got his line in front of him trying to obviously advance the puck forward and to, to score but if the puck gets past them he's there to hopefully stop that puck before it gets in into the net do you mm-hmm. have kind of a is that similar for you yeah i think so i mean i think that's uh, justin did that i think that's a great analogy something always comes up like every single day it seems like something comes up out of the blue And it's like, wow, I did (laughs) not think that I'd be dealing with this today. But you know what? That's our role. That's our responsibility. And we deal with it and we move on. Well put. And it is, uh, it's a big responsibility and it's still something I'm not quite used to. And I don't know if I'll ever get used to it, but uh, it's certainly, you have to think on your feet. And I could only imagine at the level you've got to think on your feet. It makes it exciting. It makes what you do exciting and challenging. I mean, it's not like it's not challenging enough, you know, but still, it, no one day is the same. You know, every day is different. <laughs> yeah. What's your big focus right now? Well, like I said uh, before, I mean, it's really um, diversifying our revenue and we're really focused on our digital assets and growing them, growing our audience. You know, as we see um, our audience on over the air, declining? How can we keep the same cue that we had and also grow it? Because that's really going to be important to be able to continue to grow our revenue, right? And so that's the other thing. And then 
the capital structure of our company. So revenue, content, and you know, capital structure. That's that is my focus. That's sure. that's my world. It's a big, big job. Is there one part of the job you like more than the other, or you just love it all? Um, I was a CFO before I became the CEO. So I guess I'm more comfortable and the finance side. I wouldn't say that I prefer it because I think that the growth opportunities are on the content side and then, of course, revenue diversification. And that is really what excites me. You know, I love sitting down with Justin and talking about and brainstorming about, okay, well, what about this idea? You know, do you think that would work on our um, digital sites? And, you know, Justin is so nice. He can't sit there and tell me, oh, that's a horrible idea. But he's like, well, maybe we should think about this. So, I mean, I love doing that. I guess that's the thing that I'm attracted toward most, unfortunately for Justin. Um, Revenue, you know, is really critical as well. Sure. What did you see in Justin? That to me, and I think Justin is so bright and so creative. You look at his contemporaries and some of the heads of programming, uh, Brian Phillips, brilliant, uh, uh, Tom Pullman, um, Mike McVeigh will say, they're all of a generation beyond Justin. You took a chance on Justin. What did you see in him? Yeah, so Justin isn't just a programmer. I mean, he understands all aspects of programming and he has a great history. What I really like about Justin is he sees the big picture. I mean, he's always thinking about, okay, so how can we monetize this? What is the ROI? That you don't see with many, many programmers or chief content officers out in the marketplace. They're just really focused on growing audience and content. They're not, and then sales is like, well, you know, that's not my issue. Justin really, he jumps in, he steps in and it's like, okay, I think that this would be a great idea and we can monetize it X, Y, and Z. I love that. Yeah, that's a great quality. He bridges that gap. I remember coming up in the industry and there was this wall a lot of times between programming and the sales team. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of times we did not play well with each other, but to be able to bring those two together and come up with something that's not only great for the audience, but great for the client really is a, a win-win. Yeah. You just, you just hit the nail on the head right there. Justin's a team player for sure. He's a great guy and so much respect. And thank you so much uh, to him and to you for the support that you've given us over the years. Let's talk a little bit about Q. I am reading so much about it. And yeah. uh, I saw Bonneville, Hubbard, Salem, Cox now are all uh, on board. Uh, it's a mm-hmm. fantastic technology. Uh, can you fill everyone a little bit more about it? Yes. Yeah, so we actually invested in this company about 10 years ago. But just recently, it's really been in the, in the trades and it's really um, you know, growing uh, quite dramatically. And I think that is in part due to, first of all, it's a technology company and it allows um, you know, radio to look as good as it sounds. We invested in it because we love the technology. The fact that you could see what is playing over the air on your website and also you know, the, the text on the car as well. So every touch point and also on your app, but uh, that wasn't as prevalent back then when we uh, invested in it. But every touch point that our audience was at, you know, we could 
give them that information. It has improved over the years, but then when we brought on Steve Newberry, I guess it was like a year and a half ago, you know, with his reputation within the industry, his understanding of radio, he has been able to bring the right people on board from the technology side and also the sales side and improve the product, if you will, work with the founder and former CEO, Joe Harp, who is a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant mind and really make this product great. So I'm, I'm very excited that other companies are using it. I'm excited that our company is embracing this technology and using it. It's going to be better for the advertiser. It's better for the audience. Uh, we're able to message different messages out to the audience uh, should we want to. Uh, as well. So it's it's a wonderful technology and it allows us to provide to the industry a consistent experience for our audience, from the industry for our audience, which radio hasn't had in the past. So I think it's going to be great for the industry as well. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. And, uh, you know, we've only been involved with it for a few months. We've helped with some of the uh, uh, spot production and uh, promo production, but it is phenomenal. I feel like it's more... Uh, Certainly, the advertisers get a lot more bang for their buck. The initial, Steve shared some research with us, but it seems to be very effective. And the audience is, they're reacting to it far more positively than just the audio spot. So you've got uh, now this visual mm -hmm. representation as well. And I, I think it's exciting and uh, a neat piece of technology. If you are an advertiser on radio, I mean, why would you not want this? I mean, it's just the recall rate is significantly greater. It's something that I'm so happy that we're going to be able to provide to our advertisers. Yeah, I think it's a big leap forward and it's great mm -hmm. now that the new cars have, you know, the ability to do it. So it's, uh, mm -hmm. I think, really good timing and, and an exciting thing. Talk to me a little bit about the Outlaws and investing in a uh, esports team. Yes. Yeah, so a few years ago, we, um, you know, we're looking at ways to attract uh, Gen Z and Gen Ys. And so at that time, you know, we were reading so much about esports. We continue to read so much about esports. So we decided that we would invest in a show. Uh, it was Checkpoint uh, XP. And then after investing in the show and learning, learning a little more about the space, we um, were presented the opportunity to purchase the Outlaws. Now, that was a very bold move. And looking back, and um, you know, right after we acquired this um, team, you know, the pandemic occurred. So the right. business model that we based our projections on in acquiring this team just completely, completely changed because of the pandemic. But again, I'm really pleased with us being in the esports space, and it does provide us access to Gen Zs. I mean, you know, you've got kids that are playing video games all the time. The hard part about being in esports is monetizing it. And that is because many of our sponsors, uh, many advertisers, they don't understand esports. And the buyers out there, maybe the esports specialist, is someone that likes to play video games, but is not really an esports specialist. So the uh, learning curve is much longer uh, than in traditional media. 
That being said, the industry continues to grow by leaps and bounds. Audience is growing. This was always a long-term play for us. You know, when we were going through our 10-year horizon, we saw immediate growth, immediate to three to five-year growth coming from digital, and then five-plus year coming from esports. And that was the reason why we invested in esports. I think it was a really gutsy move, but I am so impressed by it. And to your point, I did not understand it at first either. And I had a friend basically explain it. He said he watches esports much like I would watch a baseball game or someone would watch an NFL game. And there's a massive audience. Not only is there an audience because people do play it, uh, much like I may play softball. I'm not going to be a major league uh, <laughs> baseball player, but very similar to esports. Some people just watch it and they enjoy it and they like the competition. Other people play it at the same time or, you know, it's uh, incredibly interactive and Twitch, I think is now a top, maybe the top five or certainly the top 10 uh, trafficked website in the world. And that is primarily all around esports, which just yeah, is mind-boggling. It it's exciting. Yeah, very, very much so. And we just added a new team uh, to our portfolio. It's a Rocket League team. Oh, congratulations. And, yeah, thank you. And the name of it is Accelerant. So we're very happy about that as well. So it gives us, and this team plays uh, during off-season of Outlaws. So it gives okay. us diversification in esports, which is what we want. And the other thing too, I didn't share with you. I mean, like I view esports in the team aspect similar to a radio station, right? Our players are our uh, talent and like into the radio station. And uh, then, you know, we want to attract an audience so that we can turn around and sell that audience to sponsors. And you have events as well. And those are your home stands. And we know how to put on events. We've done that over and over again in radio. So we're applying some of the same principles that we do in radio and traditional media to the business of esports and it's worked out fairly well. Congratulations. It's been a lot of fun to watch. And I think it puts a new exciting edge on our business. And uh, I would love to see other companies in our space follow your lead because I think it's uh, it's incredibly exciting. You were one of the very first companies, I think you were the first company to come out about vaccinations. I know you've got a personal connection to it. I commend you for your boldness. I'm a triple vaxxed myself and a huge proponent of doing it. I've had too many friends uh, pass away this year and, and colleagues it's over this last year and a half. I think this pandemic has been horrendous on, on so many levels. Um, I honestly do not understand why people are so anti doing it. I'm having a hard time coming to grips with that personally. Uh, but what prompted your decision? Because I know it's very difficult when you're running such a large company and you've got so many people working for you. And I also know that our industry as a whole, not with you in particular, but I know a, a large contemporary company, I won't name names, but literally there has been a talent, a, a large talent step away from the position uh, that this person had uh, and literally gave up his job over the mandate, which I find uh, interesting to say the least. So tell me about the courage and why, uh, why you did what you did. Yeah, I mean, first of all, um, I think Cumulus and uh, Urban One, they came out um, maybe a few weeks before we did, but we were very pragmatic about this. And you're right, we do, you know, this is very close to home for me and my family. But when the vaccines were approved back in November, 
to start rolling out in, I guess, December. That's when I started talking with our legal department and the executive team about mandating this. And I asked, why would we not do this? So I'm glad we waited because there's been so much that has happened since December of last year to now. And it allowed us to get our ducks in a row, if you will. But I will tell you that when my dad passed away of COVID, that was really the straw that broke the camel's back. And, um, you know, it's likely that we would have waited a little longer to announce this. But once that happened, I'm like, you know what, this virus is just horrific. And in talking with my dad's doctors and what they're seeing, they're just, you know, they said, look, this today is the pandemic of the unvaccinated and whatever you can do to help, that would be great. And so I completely appreciate the fact that everyone has different opinions And what we tried to do as a company was to educate our employees. We had the um, specialists from our local hospital talk with our market managers and just present the facts. It's science. Just present the facts. And we told our market managers what we were going to do. We did not get any pushback from them, of course. And so we knew, they knew. Everyone was on board prior to us even rolling this out, and we were able to educate them as well. We do have some people that have left the company as a result of this being a condition of employment. But again, I respect their decision. I mean, everyone has their own reason not to get vaccinated, but we want to provide a safe working environment for our employees. And the way to do that is to ensure that. Our employees are vaccinated. I did get a few emails from employees that asked, well, why don't you do this or why don't you do that rather than make vaccination a condition of employment? But the majority of emails, and I got a number of them, they were, thank you. Thank you for taking a position on this. And thank you for helping us have a safe working environment. I think it was an incredibly bold move and words can't express, I'm sure, what you must feel for the loss of your father. I, I met him once in my life. I felt a a big loss because he was just such a presence and there was just something that people just felt really good around him. And he was a... Um, leader obviously in our industry but uh you know i think he you felt his guidance was just not only great for beasley but just for everyone in our in our business as a whole and so my condolences to you and your entire family on his loss and to do this as a a tribute to him i think is incredibly heartfelt and i think right on point and i could not agree with you more and i know it was obviously very bold when you went and you made that and i think it was even before uh, president biden had come out and said that it was something that all companies um i can't remember the numbers but with over a thousand employees or whatever it was had to do so i think it's uh, well done and anything we can do to help get that message and for those that are listening i had spoken to erica farber just couple weeks ago and another broadcast company she had told me was running PSAs uh, just to get vaccinated. 
And uh, this broadcaster operates in some smaller markets. And there was a lot of outlash from listeners and from advertisers and basically threatening to pull advertising and, you know, threatening to stop listening to the radio station uh, for having a pro-vaccine stance. And so it's a bold move and uh, something I think that takes a lot of courage and is not only the right thing for our country and the right thing for humanity, but to make a move like that, you are, you're, you're risking losing very talented people and air talent and clients. And so it isn't a move without consequences. And uh, for that, I also commend you. Well, thank you. I mean, I truly believe it's the right thing to do. Uh, and, you know, everyone wants to get back to their, uh, get back to normal, right? And uh, this is part of doing that. Absolutely. Let's get into some of the work that you do outside of Beasley. And it's quite impressive. Uh, You were just recently announced that you're now the chairman for BMI, uh, chairman of the board. What is that like? And tell me uh, just running or overseeing. I mean, BMI is a billion dollar a year uh, performance rights organization. They're the, Mm -hmm. the biggest. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, it's a massive, massive company, but their CEO, Mike O'Neill, is absolutely wonderful. He has a leadership team that is very, very stellar. It's different than being with NAB, being chair of NAB, because it's just a different company, kind of. Uh, But I've enjoyed it, and I'm learning through this process you know, that's really why you get up every day is to learn something every day, right? It's different. I mean, and, but it's very enjoyable and um, the leadership team is very strong. So I really like that BMI, not only are you a leader in our business, but Greg Ashlock, who's a mentor of mine, is on the board and they've got mm-hmm. radio people as part of that. And I love to see, again, sometimes these two industries that kind of overlap and sometimes need, they definitely need each other and love each other, but they can, again, kind of like family. <laughs> can, fight yeah, yeah. <laughs> going to fight sometimes, mm-hmm. but I, I like that they've really taken a cue. And I was looking last night uh, ahead of our interview today, and there's not one radio board member that I can find on ASCAP's board, which I found really fascinating. Yeah, it's different. Look, BMI was started by broadcasters. BMI has done an amazing job. You talk about revenue diversification, which is one of our goals. They've done an amazing job of diversifying their revenue streams. And I talk with Mike O'Neill about this quite frequently and how impressed I am with uh, the job that he has done since becoming CEO. Because before, you know, probably 10 years ago, the majority of BMI's revenue was coming from radio and TV. Today, I mean, digital accounts for such a large percentage of the revenue and it continues to grow. It's a very exciting business to be in. It's an honor to be on the board, number one, and then uh, it's an even greater honor to be chair. Next year, this upcoming spring, the NAB is giving you the National Radio Award for your dedication and commitment to the radio industry. When did you find out about that and how did that feel? I mean, that's a a fantastic award and something that's well-deserved. Yeah, so I'm going to share with you something that I don't think I've shared with anybody. I was driving to the hospital to see my dad. And April called and she's like, Caroline, do you have just uh, five minutes? And I'm like, April, I'm really, really busy. I didn't tell her my dad was in the hospital. I said, I'm on my way to an appointment. So I only just have a couple minutes. And then she told me and I was like, oh my God, I was really speechless. I mean, it was such a great, great, great honor, just beyond thrilled. 
as you know, my dad won this award uh, several years back and he got, he, he was sick for like a little over a month. He got out of the hospital after this time and he was home for 10 days before he had to go back into the hospital. During that 10 day period, uh, I was able to share with him the news and, you know, of course he was thrilled, you know, the first father and daughter that's amazing. Um, to get the award and everything. And we were all both just talking about how he really needed to get better so that he could be there. And he's not, but, you know, it was just really special that he found out about it. That's amazing. I'm like and, breaking um, up now. Talking no, I, about this I, completely, because... I completely understand. And for a father and daughter to win it, I don't think ever, that's never happened before. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I am so happy that he was able to hear that news before he passed. Yeah, it's going to be bittersweet in April, but uh, he'll be there with me in spirit. Congratulations again. Yeah, thank you. You've launched your own podcast, which is really exciting. And by the way, I love it. And I'm glad I just listened to your last episode, but it's called Beyond the Business. And you've been doing it for a couple of years. You've interviewed Bob Pittman, Scott Borchetta, uh, and most recently, Rashid Tabakawala. Tell me a bit about your show and also B-Pod Studios. Yeah, so, you know, I launched it because it provides the opportunity for people to learn, right? Everybody doesn't have the opportunity to talk with such intelligent, influential people. And so to be able to sit down and talk with Bob Pittman or Rashad Tabakawala, I view it as uh, it's a great opportunity for me and to be able to share their insights with others uh, who may not have the opportunity to um, hear their thoughts. I think it's really positive and I'm able to learn from these podcasts as well. So I take advantage of that too. B-Pod Studios, that's um, our platform where we distribute our podcast. And so that's where this podcast is distributed. It's a great podcast and really happy that you're doing it again. And uh, anything you ever need help with, let us know on it. We'd be, uh, we'd be honored to, to help you with it. Yeah, of course. What do you do personally when you aren't on the road, when you're not working? What are some of your hobbies and things that you like to do outside of the industry? Yeah, so I'm a really simple person. (laughs) So when I'm not on the road, when I'm not in the office and just kind of chilling, I just like hanging out with my family, you know, and enjoying some downtime. Uh, My friends, being with my friends and my family. So that's what I do. I uh, am a workout fanatic. So when I'm home, I work out every day. And that kind of like helps me clear the cobwebs, if you will. And then also, um, I like to read and um, learn. I uh, can relate on the working out. The pandemic was one of the very few positive things that have come out of the pandemic uh, for me was that I took up cycling and ended up losing like 25 pounds. And I completely know what you're talking about that time. I think, A, those endorphins feel great, but Mm -hmm. it's that one time, it's almost like a form of meditation for me because I can think about things. And it's, uh, I thought about this morning when I was writing about this, you know, this interview, what's your workout of choice? Do you have, uh, you kind of rotate different things or? No, I, yeah, I'm, I'm actually pretty bland with that. I, I get on the treadmill and, um, you know, stay there for about 30 minutes and then just do weights and different machines and stuff like that. So that's, typically what I do when I'm home. What are you reading? So I just bought a, um, a book 
last night uh, before I got on the plane. It's called Good Company. And it's about the guy that helped start Home Depot. And he later uh, purchased the Atlanta Falcons and he built the Mercedes Center in Atlanta. And it just talks about how important it is to have good people and surround yourself with great people and the importance of culture within a company. So I really try to read um, books like that that I can learn from uh, to hopefully help make me a uh, better leader. I don't know if you've read this one or not, but Bob Iger's uh, new book. Well, it's not so new. It came out about a year ago, but it's fantastic. Okay. I have one from him. I don't know if it's his latest or not, but. Really so. good. Yeah. What's your favorite wine? <laughs> uh, so, um, okay. So I'm a seasonal person in the spring and summer. I like Chardonnay. And then as you enter into fall and winter, <laughs> I move over to Pinot Noir. So, uh, yeah, that's what I drink. And uh, I'm typically just drink wine. I, I love to have a glass of wine just to relax. And right now, my favorite brand is Flowers. And okay. I love both the Chardonnay and the Pinot from this winery. I'm going to have to have to try a bottle. Do you go and visit Napa at all? Uh, I went like a year and a half ago and um, just had such an amazing time. Went out there with some friends and it was, it was so, so cool yeah. and would love to go back. Uh, we're thinking about maybe hopefully going back next year uh, sometime, but if not the following year. Speaking of travel, where's your favorite destination to relax? Yeah, a couple places. Um, so the place that, you know, I love to go and just, clear the cobwebs is Jamaica. You know, our family's been going there for probably the last 40 years. And, you know, it's a special place for our family, for the kids, the grandkids, and it's our home away from home. And we can just go and just uh, get away, quick get away. But uh, I also love Italy. I mean, I just love Italy. The food there, the wine there, the, you know, history that you can see there. And then the people there, I mean, they're just um, so nice. So close to home, Jamaica, further away for a longer getaway would be Italy. Yeah, great. Absolutely great locations. How about you? Can I like turn the table here yeah, and start of, interviewing you now? Of, of course. I love Italy. Italy's uh, absolutely fantastic. Uh, one of the nicest places, maybe the nicest. I went to Portofino, Italy years ago, which was just oh, yeah, yeah. amazing. Yeah. I am a huge fan of Hawaii. Uh, probably my favorite place like just to relax would be Maui. And I have not been back since the pandemic, but I try to get there if I can at least every other year. And it's just a, a wonderful place to be. And probably, very, I've not been to Jamaica, but probably a similar vibe and uh, that tropical. No, it's not. Maui's really wonderful. I love, love, love Hawaii. It's just, it's a, it's a trip to get to Hawaii from sure, Naples, Florida, you know. Yeah. So, um, but been there for a few times. Love it. Love the water there. It's just so beautiful with the mountains and uh, just, just gorgeous, gorgeous. It is a great place. I'm looking forward right now. It's been so busy and 
the governor actually of Hawaii has asked people to stop coming because they're concerned, obviously, about COVID. And a lot of the restaurants can't be open to capacity. And when people are getting there, they can't get into restaurants and so forth. And it's not making for a great experience. So hopefully when things we, we get beyond this and things slow down, I can go back again soon. Hopefully. And will you do Maui or will you go somewhere else? Uh, probably Maui cause I'm, I want to go and I, I tend to be a little bit of a creature of habit. Uh, but, uh, mm-hmm. I would certainly, I'd be open to any Island right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I hear you. Yeah. They're all yeah. beautiful over there. I, I want to thank you. Uh, first and foremost, I think I have got, I look at your company and what you guys have built as a family and I revere it as, I don't think it gets any more classy than the Beasley family and the stations and your team. Everyone, uh, I know we've talked about Justin, but you, Heidi, your uh, your programmers, your air talent, uh, we just adore working with you guys and you treat people so well. You treat your listeners incredibly well. I can't say enough about all the charity work that you do and what you do to serve your communities and also the industry and being such a leader in the industry. And we talked about this horrific black swan event. And I think you guys have just couldn't have done a better job leading through it. I know we're not quite there yet, but hopefully we are seeing that sun at the end of the tunnel, that light at the end of the tunnel. And I thank you for that. And I, the industry needs more Beasleys. Ultimately. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of them. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I really uh, appreciate your time today and, you know, your questions and the opportunity to um, be on your podcast and um, share some insight into our family and our company. Thanks again, Carolyn. And All right. Have pleasure. a great day. You too. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Chachi Loves Everybody. If you like the show, we hope you'll leave us a five-star rating and tell your friends. Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This has been a Benstown Podcast production, hosted and researched by Dave Chachi Dennis. Executive producer, Kevin Horton. Produced and edited by Tom Green. Show coordinator, Juliana Parisi and Laura Keene.